Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. titled uh, the message this morning, uh, Think Biblically. Take your Bible and look at uh, Romans chapter 12. We looked at uh, verse 1 last week. We're going to look at verse 2 today, Romans 12, 2. Think Biblically. Last week we saw that in view of God's mercy, our verse we're memorizing that uh, it's only reasonable that you and I as believers then offer our bodies to the Lord. It's only reasonable. Um, it's logical. Logios is the word in the Greek in view of God's mercies. And part of that uh, not only includes our feet and our hands, our mouth and our eyes, but as we shall see today, even our minds. Our minds. You have a mind. You say, well, I'm losing it. Well, <laughs> I'd be smart if I could ever remember everything I ever learned. I understand you. You don't use it, you lose it. I understand that too. Um, it involves your mind. A number of years ago, there was a TV ad that promoted college. It used to be always beyond when I was a kid Saturday morning. I'd get up early to watch the Bowery Boys and Superman, Crack of Dawn, and they always put this on. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And it was uh, recommending college. I think it was the, uh, um, I don't remember if it was the, uh, what colleges it was, but a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Yet, many of us uh, as Christians have less than a Christian mind. I'm sorry to tell you that. There are many Christians that I meet that name the name of Christ, but in their thought processes, they function like pagans. I, I was one of them for a long time. I came to know Christ at seven, was raised on the periphery of a good church. My father wasn't saved, so the heart and core of our family you know, wasn't uh, to serve Christ and to love him. It was sort of on the periphery of the family even. And I was educated uh, in the public school system. And uh, though I loved the Lord and had deep reverence for the Word and knew a little bit about the Bible, uh, I was a functioning, paganized Christian in thought. And that's one of the great things that I received as a trust from my college years. I had the privilege of attending a Christian college. And it was phenomenal for me to study all the disciplines through the lens of Scripture. For all truth is God's truth. It's not like, here's Bible truth, here's spiritual truth, and now let's talk science, now let's talk astrophysics, now let's talk biology, as somehow it's unrelated. If it's truth, then all truth is God's truth, and I began to be reoriented because I came to study the Word and the disciplines of, of English and grammar and sciences and, 
in philosophy all through the lens of Scripture, and there was a real change that took place in me from the inside out through, the, through my mind. And it was a great trust that, that I have received. And I remember, I loved history, and I took five years of it in my public high school. My senior year, I actually took two full years of it that year. And then when I heard and studied Western civilization from the proper Christian worldview, I felt like I had gotten ripped off in my secular public school studies. Maybe I had to deal with it. I was a little angry <laughs> at points. I only got a third of the message, and even that was contorted. And so I say to you, many Christians have less than a Christian mindset because we have allowed ourselves to be pressed into thinking like the godless men and women that surround us. I'm not here, hopefully many of you know Christ, <laughs> but in life, they surround us, don't they? They go to school with us, they play on our basketball team, they, uh, they work with us, they live in our neighborhood, they're in our families, right? They, we invite them through the TV set, they pumped in, they sit in our living room, for some of you, far too many hours, and it affects us. You're kidding yourself, you think it doesn't affect, oh, I'm okay, I go to church, you know, I'm at grace at 9.30, or some of you, 9.45. <laughs> I'm okay. You're not okay. That's not enough. That's not enough. It's not like a silver pill and now you're good. You're getting signals all the time, and the author of it is Satan himself, and it's an attempt to cause you to think in a pagan, godless way. And if you're not aware of it, you're even more a disaster waiting to happen. Stay inside. Don't go outside. There's danger out there. I mean, that's the world we live in. Now listen, our minds are a gift from God. You say, I didn't get much. It's still a gift. <laughs> it's a gift. If you are saved, then God has given you a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, creation. The old is gone, behold, all things are new. New in kind, that's the word for new there. And included in that is God has given you uh, a new heart, a new mind within. And as you offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, do not forget to give the Lord your mind. It's good practice to do that if you're in school. Say, Lord, help, you know, as you're writing your exam. Maybe it's a little late at that point. The Lord may have other lessons for you to learn at that point, like study a little bit ahead of time, you know, and these kind of things. But uh, to pray, Lord, take my mind and use it. I'll never forget uh, Dr. Albright talking in, when he talks about polymers, and he talks about these things like you can see them. I can't see them. With his, uh, his, his PhD in, in chemistry and uh, talking about uh, God gave him the ability to make a, a brand new polymer as he was praying, Lord, help me. And he gives all the credit to the Lord. And I'm, he's doing this with his hands, and I'm, there's nothing in it. But he made something. I don't know what it was, but it, it really was there, and it really worked. And God got all the glory. Uh, but Lord, help. That's, not, that's a good thing to do. Lord, help me. I pray that way all the time. I was up early. Lord, help me. 
the unction of the Spirit of God rest upon the wonder of your word. And I pray the word into all of your hearts every week, every day, Sunday particularly. Lord, help. Take this dead sermon and these dead thoughts and these pink paper and throw them in the trash. If you think that's it, it isn't. And I pray, Lord, breathe life into it, or we might as well just stay home and read the paper and drink coffee and watch, what is it, meet the press. How many of you know that? Find out who's staying home. <laughs> right? Offer your mind. We're to give our mind to the Lord. You're to think biblically. Remembering that ideas always have consequences. The things you think about always work out into behavior. Adolf Hitler had ideas. He wrote the book in prison, Mein Kampf. That was his plan. That was his ideas. And we saw how horrifically they were carried out to our horror, to the slaughter of millions and millions of ideas, the things we think about work their way out into the way we live. And if we think uh, wrongly, uh, it, will, it will result in wrong things and wrong behaviors. It will. As well as as we think through the lens and the grid of God's wonderful Word, then we'll live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. John MacArthur said, Your mind must be given to God. He was absolutely right. Another man writes, think in biblical categories. Think, think, think about life and death and meaning and purpose, evil, service, God, your name, everything. Think in all these categories and think about it in biblical uh, paradigm or constructs. Uh, uh, you must do that as you offer your mind. Think biblically. It's the key to successful, godly living. It is. If your life is out of sorts, if you're continually going back and living in sin and making poor choices, it, 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 it ought to tell you. It's like the idiot lights on your car. They light up. Don't tap the light like I did. There must be something wrong with the light. And all of a sudden, you've got a $6,000 engine job. No. You're thinking there's a problem up here. You're not thinking biblically takes discipline. Oh, Americans aren't big on that, are we? Actually, Jim Boyce is right. Americans aren't big on thinking. We're not. We amuse ourselves to death. You know what amuse? What's it mean to muse? Muse means to? To think. What does amuse, amuse mean? Negate, think. Don't think. That's what amusement is. We're amusing ourselves to death. More circuses, more entertainment. Oh, I like this. I don't have to think. We don't, we're not great thinkers. We're not. Americans are strong on your, we have been on utility. Very practical. Like, uh, you know, don't get into all this stuff faster. Just tell me how to do it. That's Americans, our tendencies. Some of you know the French. The French are lost up there, you know, among other things. But... <laughs> Their philosophy, they like to debate all day these thoughts, and you're like, oh, please, you're wearing me out. Who cares? You know, <laughs> who cares on that existential nonsense? Americans aren't like that. But you must be. Well, Paul, here in this moving in, as we said last week, into its application, since the gospel is possessed by you, 
He says, offer your bodies in verse 1. And in verse 2, it involves your mind. Two commands in verse 2, directing our thought life as believers, as you and I offer our bodies as living sacrifice. For it is true in life, the battle for godliness is in your mind. It's in your mind. Don't waste your mind. Resist the pressure. Some of you love the Gettysburg battlefield. You know, Faith and I, years ago with the boys, wrote, and Sarah too, Sarah, rode the double-decker bus around. There you go. Oh, Jerry's in the teaching. And uh, some of you, how many like that Gettysburg uh, battle? Do you go down there? Do you, do you do that yearly, or is that something like one and done? You're an actor, a reenactor, right? You put all that stuff on and go down there, and that'd be, I'd like to get a picture of you in that. But some of you do that, right? The battlefield, and then you go up there, and there's the pickets charge and all that. kind. That's what your mind is. It's the battlefield. It's the battlefield. There's danger there. Danger. Beware. And so let's look at this. Well, the, f- the first command is a negative. Let's read the verse. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Well, the first command is negative. Stop allowing the pressure of our godless world to mold your thinking. The way he phrases it in the, in the Greek language, it's, uh, some of you have studied Greek, well, it's made with the imperative. It means you're doing it, stop it. You've been doing this as believers. Stop it. Stop allowing your minds to be molded to think like a pagan, an unbeliever. And if you're honest, you've done it. As I already confessed, even in my early years that I did it. Well, Paul uses, A, the word conformed. This word is uh, from the word we get in the Greek, the word scheme. In fact, it sounds like that, schema, scheme. The word, this, this word means it's an outward pressure that attempts to pattern us. It's the pressure we feel exerted upon us to conform to the world's way of thinking and behaving. It's pressure from the outside. It has nothing to do with what's within us. We feel squeezed. Sometimes we do. We, I'm squeezed here. My schedule's squeezed. Well, in our thought life, we're squeezed and pressured by all these messages that bombard us all the time. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a TV program. Maybe it's a a novel you're reading, a magazine article. Maybe it's music you're listening to. These things affect us. You say, it doesn't affect it. They affect us. You say, beware of it. You've allowed it to happen. Now stop that. Realize it. Realize it. There's a battlefield here. There's going to be moseying around. I'm okay. You're going to be shot. You'll be killed, in essence. Be careful. You're being squeezed and pressed into the world's way of thinking and behaving. The world, the word itself, this word scheme, implies an outward fashioning that does not reflect what is within. Sometimes the, the word is used 
uh, in a way of masquerading. You masquerade. You ever go to a masquerade party? I, I don't know if I ever did. But some of you may have. They look like fun. You put on, you know, an outfit. And Anyone here do that? You're laughing at me. Kim, you can hold your hand up higher than that. You're the only one. <laughs> oh, you went too, Jimmy? Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah, you put on a mask of, uh, what, George W., right? Right, I'm George W. No, I'm not. But it's masquerading as, as somebody, right? Clark Kent or I don't know, whoever, whoever you want to masquerade as. That's not really what's on the inside. And so that's how it's used. I, I, I'm reminded, one man writes, it's, it, it, it's not uncommon for unbelievers to mask themselves as believers. You know that? There are folks that, that are maybe not truly saved, but they mask themselves. It's not what's on the inside, but they would appear to be believers. A church is filled with that. I mean, you have wheat and tares. Jesus talked about that. God's calling out a people. And uh, we don't, really don't know who's who. God knows. And uh, that happened. The, the converse of that is, is that, converse, that's right, the, uh, or inverse or whatever, believers should never masquerade in their thinking as unbelievers. Don't conform. You're doing it. Stop it. Stop it. Don't be molded by such a thing. I grew up in uh, the greater Buffalo area, and it was in, uh, in my day growing up, it was, uh, they had a lot of industry up there, and uh, it's still a sad thing to see all that industry gone. The International Paper Mill, well, some are glad it's gone. The sodium that used to stink up the town from that was, boy, that was something. And uh, the steel mills and the iron mills used to light up the sky at night. In addition to that, we had Durez, which was a division of Her Hooker Chemical, and they made plastics there. I remember the first time they came into one of our classrooms, and they were showing two bottles. One was a resin, and we're showing you something that's really sort of cutting edge. Can you imagine that? There was a day when plastics were cutting edge. You mix the one with the other, with harden it, and, and take whatever mold or shape. And there were a lot of industries around that supported that, that would do uh, mold injections where they would, they would have uh, certain sort of uh, molds and a little hole, and they inject the plaster, and it would take the form and shape of. That's the idea of conforming. We live in a world, and you better recognize it, that will force you and squeeze you into its way of thinking. And you better resist. You better. It's a matter of life and death. And when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, it involves your mind, but beware there's danger. And so Paul says negatively, stop allowing the pressure of the godless world to mold your thinking. Stop it. Well, B, Paul tells us that the godless worldly mindset that we are to resist, he tells us about it. The word here that he uses is not cosmos. Cosmos. You know, some of you are familiar. Cosmology, cosmetics. It's not that word at all. Rather, it's the word that uh, we get the word age from, or period of time. It seems that each age of humanity, each age of time, produces its rather own anti-God thought patterns. Well, what are some of the common 
worldly thought patterns found in our day? Let me suggest some of these. First of all, let me make a disclaimer. When he says, don't be conformed to the world, uh, to the age, he's not talking about, when I was a kid, they used to call it the dirty dozen. You know, smoking, drinking, chewing, and going with girls that do that kind of thing. No, he's not talking about that. All right, I've heard this taught, and it was taught wrong. He's not talking about any of that. You see, that grossly trivializes and understates the danger that really Paul's talking about. He's not talking about such nonsense as that. He's talking about the subtleties of our mind in a way of thinking, which is far more important that we understand and get our arms around. Well, like, what are some of these things then? What are they? Well, I've listed four. There could have been more. You might not know them by these names, uh, but you're aware of these thought patterns. I'm sure you are. Like what? Well, the first one, secularism. comes from the Latin word for age. That's the Latin itself. Well, what does it mean? This is really the one word that really describes it. It's a way of thinking that only looks at here and now. Sounds like half the beer commercials, doesn't it? Here and now. Sounds like some of you did existentialism. Just now, just this moment, that's all we have. Well, it's a great ploy of Satan, right? If you get caused people who are of incredible worth, made in God's image, to think nothing about the future, just the, just the moment, just the present. Oh, it's amazing how you can manipulate people and ruin them. And that's what he's up to. It's called secularism. Operate as if to this age is all there is. A number of years ago, Carl Sagan, the astrophysicist at Cornell University, had that, and it was an award-winning series on Discovery TV. Did you remember See the Cosmos? And he always began that program. Roger, how did he begin that? Do you remember? Cosmos. All that ever was and all that ever will be. And that's how he began every week. That is a clear statement of what we're talking about. Secularism. And in fact, if the cosmos is all there is, was, and shall ever be, then essence is God. But it's not. And you're aware of that. You, you, you hear this all the time. You only go around once. Get all the gusto you can. All that f- feeds into this. Here and now, this is all we have. That's it. Now is the only thing that matters. We see it trickle into our government. It's horrifying to me, this national debt. Who would run a family budget like that? You couldn't do it unless you had a counterfeiting print press, right, Vinny? You'd have to have a print press in the basement to keep printing money. But they keep borrowing for the future generations to pay our bill. It's why, why, what would be some of the underlying nonsense that feeds that? Well, it's just here and now. This is important. And so you mortgage the future to our grandkids. It's crazy to me. Another is uh, a student may say, well, why study and prepare and really give myself to equipping my, with skills and abilities so that I might be able to have a productive and rewarding job? Why do that? It's just here and now. It's party time. 
hey, party hardy, you know, and it floats around. Not only university campuses, but it's in the culture. It's secular. It's here and now. That's all there is. These kind of things. Why worry about God? Why worry about sin? A future judgment? Just here and now. And you all are aware of that current. I know you are. A second common worldly way of thinking is humanism. Humanism. Sounds good. Humanitarianism is certainly good. But this is a way of thinking that is not good. Man becomes big M. Man. Men. Men and women. They become the center of everything. And God, he is exiled expelled. There's no room for him. Man is all important. You know, Genesis 3-5 was the first expression of this in the temptation, where Satan tempted Eve into taking of the forbidden fruit. God doesn't want you to do that because he knows in the day that you do, you will be like God. Or how about Nebuchadnezzar? That's the great statement of all in the Bible. And in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, Daniel that day was strutting about on his beautiful palace porch looking at all of Babylon. Look at all of this. It's, I've done all of this, and aren't I so great? And God struck him down, didn't he? Seven years. He lived like an animal, as if to say, That is absolutely idiotic and animalistic to have such a thought. But this this is the bedrock of a public education, university education, humanism. I stood at Antioch College in Ohio, Dan, and there I saw where they signed the Humanistic Manifesto. Back in the, I think it was 1930 or something, became the bedrock of public education. Man is great. Man is good. No room for God in essence. And I looked at all the signatures on that. Unbelievable. Well, you, you know that. It's all about man. It's all about me. That's it. And God, he's not even important. There was a day, you know, when the, the, the public education was so biblical. The McGuffey readers, I mean, the books they read and learned to read from filled them with spiritual, biblical knowledge and truth and awareness of God. Oh, we can't have that. You know, A, they may learn to read. Uh, B, they may hear something of God. You ought to get him out. And so that became where we are today. And you read about the deplorable condition of education. There are other factors that contribute, but it's on the wrong foundation. A third is relativism. Well, what's that? Is that my relative Uncle Harry? No. This is a way of thinking, notice, a way of thinking that removes any absolutes. Alan Bloom, the professor at University of Chicago, wrote in the late 80s the closing of the American mind. And he said uh, the one thing, the only thing he could count on, this is like in the late 80s, every student coming to that prestigious university, he could count on one thing, that all of them were persuaded of the relativity of truth, 
They've been brainwashed in their educational experiences that all truth was relative. Now, if you notice, you can't even make that statement. That's a propositional statement. You can't even say that statement in a relative way. That in itself is an expression of an absolute. All truth is relative, absolutely, is what they mean. I mean, that's the way God made us, to speak and live in his world. But it's true. And if all truth is relative, then there's no truth. I mean, op opposites are equal. And that's what we've come to. It really is. We see it in, in the so-called, well, all religions are the same. Uh, all things are the same. That's your opinion. Or you'll hear it with, well, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's good for you. That's a good truth for you. I'm, I'm a Hindu. Oh, that's good for me. No, it's not good for you. You see, as if that's equal. And if you're tolerant, that's like the new absolute now. You're a tolerant person. Just pat on the head, you know, just don't make change for me at McDonald's. Because you may want to give me a five, but I really deserve about $15 back. But you say, well, that's good for me and also McDonald's, but not good for you. And they're both the same, and can't we all hug? <laughs> no. And please stay off the road, you know, because there are rules that say, for good reason, in America, stay on the right side of the road. Say, well, it just feels good for me to drive on the other side. Can't we just do that? Aren't we both right? No. You see, you can't even live in God's world that way. You can't. And that's the world we live in. You're aware of that. And there are no morals. And that's what we've come to as a culture. You know, the worst person in the crowd is the guy that says, that's not right. Oh, shame on you. Oh, you're judging. Oh, shame on you. It could be right for them. And we swim in this polluted water. I'm saying to you, it's not always been that way. And God doesn't want us to be impressed in, in informed in our thinking to this nonsense. And finally, mindlessness. Mindlessness. This is modern man who does not really think at all. He's amused to death. He has a reluctance to look at what's happening in a critical way. We need to be thinking people. I remember my early uh, school teacher said, Okay, class, put on your thinking caps. I don't know what that was. But it's funny, everything I learned, most of it was before I went to kindergarten. And then everything else was refined. Like what? Don't hit your neighbor. You know, take your nap. You know. <laughs> Be a good citizen, didn't know what that meant. Eat your lunch, and all these things, good things. We are to be thinking people. We are, not mindless. There are a couple of things that contribute to mindlessness uh, in our day. Uh, it, TV news doesn't help. Oh, and now it's 24 hours, 24-7, right? So how many of you are addicted to Fox News? Go home from church, hey, what's happening, you know? What's happening? You know, like We've got to know instantly everything that's happening in the world. I don't think it's good for us. And it goes from, and, and not, it's a series of images, right? You don't have hardly any chance to think about it. And sometimes if you watch some of these, 
they get me so frustrated because they're little sound bites. They're not reasoned thinking. There's a couple of shows that, that I, I rather enjoy because they actually let him speak more than a paragraph to explain himself. But the news would go like, there's a 40-second, particularly the evening news. And then it goes on to, here's horrible famine here, and here's bodies, you know, body parts on the highway, and here's Washington, D.C., and it just goes, one, the other, the other, go, and you, you can't process it. And you just, you, you end up not thinking at all about it. You're just a, a spectator. It's just not enough time. See, that contributes to it. It's a bad influence. Politics are like that. A second, they're just uh, images, image, 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 image. It's nauseating, really. You like to have a reasoned discussion without three people shouting and screaming that uh, you speak. And then more than, you know, 45 seconds and someone else, so you can, so you can actually think through issues and ideas. A third is religion is entertainment. I don't know. So I flashed through some nights when I think he might have been sleeping, and I there are a bunch of Looney Tunes on there with in the name of religion on there. I was horrified watching some of that, and that's like entertainment. Listen, we're to be thinking people, not mindless people. We're to put on our thinking caps and think. Think in biblical categories. Stop allowing the pressure of the godless world to mold your thinking. As a Christian, you are to resist these ways of thinking that will mold you into a worldly person. You must. You must do that. Well, that's the negative. Paul doesn't leave us there. Stop being conformed to the pattern of this world. But he gives the positive now, the second command, directing our thought life as believers. And it says, keep on being changed from the inside by the renewing of your mind. There's the answer. That's what we all need. Renewal of our mind. We are, we are to have minds that are being transformed. That's what the word means. You are to be transformed. It's the, it's the word metamorphosis. Uh, you We'll remember in early school, your teacher uh, might have had a little little woolly worm or a little caterpillar of sorts. And did you do that? It was my teacher who went in on a stick and let's watch that class. And then there's a cocoon. And, and then finally after, I don't remember how many days, this beautiful monarch butterfly. I remember seeing that in the jar with the holes in the top of the canning jar. And she said, what's happened here, class? Metamorphosis. That's a big, big word. That's the word here. Metamorphosis. Be transformed. That little caterpillar was transformed. What was inside of it came out, and the display was magnificent. That God had made such a beautiful monarch butterfly. And Paul is saying, you and I as believers who possess this gospel that he's laid out, we are from the inside out, not from the press on the outside in, inside out. What God has created in us is to come to the surface and come into full bloom like that monarch. 
means that we are to continually, it's present imperative, we're to continually allow what is on the inside to flow to the surface, to keep on being changed and developed, growing into the image of Christ. God has given you a new nature. That is, if you are saved, you have a new nature, meaning probably disposition of mindset, a way to think. And you are to think like a Christian in accordance with what God has put within you. Think biblically. Our minds that are to be molded, transformed by the Word of God. Our, in, our inner redeemed nature is to be manifested outwardly in daily living. And don't you love Colossians 3.16? Turn to that. That's, uh, we've used that verse as a church. Yeah, many, many places. Paul has it on the webpage. But Colossians 3.16, you ought to know this. It's, you know John 3.16, everybody does. But Colossians, same, same reference, 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the key right there. The word of Christ, that's the word of God. Dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and Spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. It is, the, it is through the Word of God. Well, B, this, however, uh, is not a call to think about Christian things, this mind renewal. He's not saying, mm, uh, think about Christian things. Okay. Like what? Well, I love thinking about the rapture. My post, mid, pre, you know, pre-wrath. No, he's not talking about that. He's not talking... I love to think about the church. I'm going to think about the church, right? Oh, I love the church, the body of Christ. Oh, I love that song. No, that, he's not talking about thinking about Christian things. No, they're good in their place, maybe, or whatever. He's saying think in biblical categories. I'm going to say it again. Think according to the categories of the Word of God. That's what he's calling us to. Think, as it were, through the lens of Scripture. And if you do this... You'll grow in wisdom and in godliness. You'll see the world for what it is and not be deceived or tricked. And you'll grow to be a wise man or woman in the things of the Lord. You have 20-20 clarity for living. Well, how do we do this? How do we think in such categories through the lens of Scripture? Let me suggest, number one, think, of, think about the doctrine of God. God is really there, and that means there's really supernatural. So you say, what is reality? It's not just here and now. I mean, there's a whole world out there, angels, the wonder of, of God himself who's present in, in a sense, and in heaven in a fuller sense, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's such a thing as supernatural and, uh, and, and so on. So that moves it just beyond the material, the material. That's anotherism of it today. The only thing that exists is materialism. No, that's crazy. So God is there. He's great. He's awesome. And more than that, he's not silent. He's given us the big book. What's the big book? Anybody remember? What's the big book? The big book. There's a big book and a little book of God's revelation. What is the big book? Creation. That's right. I'd call it big, wouldn't you? How about immense? Try and check that one out of the library. I'll take the creation with me. <laughs> Bring it back Tuesday. <laughs> it's enormous. 
Well, we look at it, and it, what? It shouts uh, things about our God, that he's really there, that he's a God of order and power and design and God of wrath. And we, we look and go like, wow, God of detail to his glory and praise. Whether we look through a microscope and see the smallest minutia or the, the grandest things in outer Wow, wow. And God has revealed not only that, but the little book, the Bible. He reveals to us all kinds of things. Our God is a God of love, a God of grace, mercy, a God of truth, a God of wrath, a God of justice, a God who's righteous. You see, we, we, we come to think about God, and we think about life as we think about God. You see? He's really there. He's really awesome. He's not son. Second, think about the, the doctrine of revelation. We've just touched on that lately. Since God has spoken truth, God cannot lie. Whatever he speaks is truth, and it's absolute. Do you know that God never puts it up to a vote? How many of you think, you know, please, let's do another poll. Oh, please not. Ad nauseum. Please, no, not another one. And God never said, I don't know. And God is the definer and the measure of all things. He defines life marriage, he defines church, church life, he defines the mission, all of it, defines heaven and hell, all of it. Man is not the measure of all things, that's humanism. Randy Descartes, no, God is. And in fact, the fact that God has revealed himself and has spoken truth, it's the death knell to relativism. The fact that God said ends forever the whole ism that you're right and the opposite's right and all the rest, no way. Impossible. And third, how about the doctrine of man? As we study the scriptures, we come to discover that man is far more important than the humanist would ever imagine. B.F. Skinner wrote the book when he was at Harvard, uh, Beyond Freedom and Dignity. And the thesis was, We've got to get beyond this notion that man is somehow special, unique. The Christian idea that he's made in God's image. We have to move past that. He's nothing more than, he, was a, in the, he created the behavior modification school of thought of psychology. That man is nothing more than the sum total of the things that happened to him. Let's get beyond this idea that man's special. Uh-uh. No, he... Every human life, whether unborn or born, is unique and special. They possess the very sanctity of life. They're made in the Imago Dei, God's image. This week, we're coming on that horrible anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And pray on Tuesday that God would, would finally change the hearts and lives of American people. That's where it has to be. Not our politicians, though we pray for that, that men and women of principle would be elected that would stop that Holocaust. And some estimates, 50 million people are not because of that since 1973. And there's a school of thought that says, well, they're nothing. They're fetus. Uh, listen, fetus in Latin means a little baby. But somehow we say fetus, and it sounds like a non-entity or something. Humanism denies the reality that man is special. You're special. God has given you, each one of you, unique gifts and abilities to fulfill his purpose.
But second, and under the doctrine of, of man, man in his fallen condition is far worse than the humanists would ever suppose. There's an evil. Sometimes you'll hear it say, well, good and evil people. I got news for you. All people have are by nature, they have, they have some likeness to God. They can do good. They're, I mean, they are made in the likeness. They can do good, but all of us can do evil and have done evil. They're not good and evil people. The murder, oh, he's evil. Oh, he'll always be evil. No, no. It's within all of us. All of us. Until God saves us and controls us and grows us. Man is far worse than the humanists would ever suppose. And that's the answer to humanism. It's the Christian doctrine of anthropology or of man. Who is man? Man, listen, man's the pinnacle of God's creation. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And then he got down into the finer details. And then even to the finer details. And finally, on the sixth day, he puts man right there in the midst of his creation. It was all done for Adam and for Eve and for humanity. You see, we're not just junk. You're not junk. You have a dignity and worth that God has given to you. You're special. And finally, the fourth Think about the doctrine of redemption. It intensifies man's value. That God would so send his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for you and for me. Listen, he went past Saturn when he came from heaven and Mars and Venus and came to earth. It forever creates the dignity and the uniqueness of earth and of humanity. He is the root and the offspring of David. And he is the God-man forever. And God did it all. In thinking about things in biblical categories and through the lens of Scripture will help you. John Stott, that the, uh, the aged pastor in London for many, many years at All Saints, put it this way, as God renewed our minds in Christ, and shall we not think with it? Sadly, many Christians don't, do we? God forgive us in that. Well, the result in closing. The result of all this is then, notice the word then, it introduces result. You'll be able to test with approval is the idea what God's, what God's will is. What is it? And he's going to describe it three ways. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Well, first, God's will is good. It's good. Go back just a couple of pages. Uh, look at this famous Romans 8. Well known. Many of you know this. God's will is good. Some have said, well, why does God say that? You know why God says it here? Because uh, we, we hear it academically. We know it in our mind, but we don't believe it's really true. That God's will is good for me individually? God said it is. And he probably had to say it because a lot of times we start walking along and go, Lord, I'm not sure about this. God says it's good. Look what he says in Romans 8, 28, 9, 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For, here's the explanation, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, conformed to the likeness of, of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Well, it's good. God's will is good. I remember in Christian college, you'll hear different speakers come in. And, and Stephen, you, you remember this. Stephen, missionary kid, grew up. And uh, someone would come in and talk about Africa. And the, the students being freshmen and sophomores, I don't know if I want to give my life to the Lord. I just know. I just know. If I do that, he's going to make me do what I don't want to do. And I hate snakes and spiders. And if I do that, I'm going to have to go, sorry, Sam, to Africa. <laughs> I just know that. So I'm just kind of like holding on, not sure if I want to do this. Right, Stephen? How often do we have that? In the, yeah, in the bull session in the dorm, right? Now, here's the, here's the answer to it. If it's not in your heart, God does not want you to do that. I'm telling you, he's so great, he'll change your heart. He'll be like, I'm going to Kenya. Amen, Maggie. I thought I'd get a couple there. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, right, I'm going. It's amazing how God does that. And you go like, it's good. God's so good. It's never like, I don't want to do this, Lord, don't make me do it. It's the same thing with dating. I just know that if, uh, if I give my life to the Lord, I don't know if I can trust him because, you know, I'm going to have to marry the guys that say, this, this girl, she's not very pretty. And the guys put it in other words usually. And I just know he's going to make me do that. And the girls say, I, I, I'm going to have to marry some dorky guy. You know, I just know it. I just, I just, I don't know. Can I trust him? And, and that's the reason why he's like, listen, God's will. Test it. Test for approval. It's good. It's good. You can say, like, wow. And sometimes the problem is, is that we sort of hang out one hand and the other, and we're like, and then finally when we get old enough, and it's late in the game, maybe it's the eighth inning, we finally, well, what was I, stupid? Too late, too smart. And we finally realize it is good. I wish I had done that back in third grade. It's good. It's good. It's good. It may be hard, and at times it, but it's always good. Second, it's pleasing. At the end of life, after serving the Lord, you'll have joy. Joy. Enjoying the will of God. And finally, third, it's perfect. Not lacking any respect, any, anything in any respect. Not lacking. There's a satisfying wholeness to the will of God. And it's beautiful. If we reach the end of our days dissatisfied with life, and many do, it will simply mean that we have been living in the world's way that we have been conformed to it rather than being transformed. Now turn your sheet over. Uh-oh. Yes, right. You have stuff on the backside, don't you? All right. Turn it, turn it this way and right in the... Mine's all colored here. Right in the mar. I'm going to give you some. Let me give you... One man wrote the... I thought these were good. Six spears of Christian living. Six of them. Try and jot these down, these six. Each is impossible without a proper and energetic use of your mind. Each one of these. You cannot be mindless. You must use your mind in each of these six spheres of Christian living. Number one, worship. You worship God in spirit and truth. You worship Him, you praise Him with your, with your mind. God is there. He's knowable. 
we know about a thimbleful of him, but it's true truth, as Schaefer said, and it's true. We worship him for what we know who he is. And so worship. Second, faith. That's not my wife, but faith. We must know and believe God's promise. You must know God's word. God makes all sorts of promises. It's for the mind. And when the waves of reality hit and you feel like I can't go on or I'm staggering, you anchor yourself to the promise through the mind realizing that uh, God will keep you and see you through and fulfill his will for you, that he'll care for you, and that you can cast your every care upon him, for he cares for you. So faith. Third area, holiness. Holiness. Sanctification is not an emotional thing. Growing in Christ-likeness, rather, is the use of our mind. What? To do what's right. We do what's right. There's a right and a wrong. And God says, through the Spirit of God, the new nature, use your mind to do that which is right, and you'll grow to be like Christ. You see? Number four, guidance. You say, well, do I take a new job? Do I date this person? Do I move to this city? Do I do this? Do I do that? A thousand things come up in life. Well, we must make decisions based upon biblical principles. And if we do that, and it doesn't speak specifically to what we want under that, then there's freedom to that. You know, God says, whatever's in your heart then. Lay out the biblical principles. Think through that grid. Think. And if, you, if, if it's not addressed directly underneath that, then you have liberty. Go and enjoy. Go and do. Number five, evangelism. A fifth sphere of Christian living. We must present the gospel to people so that they can understand, that they might believe. We don't shout people into the kingdom. We don't beat them up, right? What good is that? But we say like Isaiah, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be like scarlet. Remember Isaiah 1? We reason with people. They're lost. They don't know God. They love self. They're in sin. They need, you see, evangelism. We use our minds that way. And finally, six, ministry. We do, we do ministry by asking. I'm not talking about just pastors here. All of us are in ministry. We do by asking, what, uh, what am I good at? What, how has God gifted me? Each one of you have a gift. We're going to look at that as we go further in Romans 12. And it's to be used, not put on the shelf. What's my gift? Think through that, get better at it, and use it for the Lord. And so, six spears, which you and I need to use our minds. Well, as we close, lessons for our life then. Lessons for our life number one. You and I must daily reject the world's thinking and think as Christians. You, we must. You must resist, you must reject it. Uh, you know, I've said it, I'm a newspaper junkie. I could read three a day. I just, I don't know, I just love to read. One paper I read um, is, uh, is the New York Times. Now, that is really liberal. Those editorials, 
and the way they slanted, sometimes I commenced the shouting. <laughs> but they have a lot of other stuff in there you have to wade through. And as uh, someone once said, eat the meat and spit the bones out. You've got to be discerning and think and think. In some ways, it helps me to keep in touch with where the world is because it's never constant. It's slippery and slimy and moving in their thought patterns. It helps me to be able to, to disarm that. We must be careful to do that. Reject it if you're in the classroom. I wrote a paper when I had a, a sociology class in my senior year in high school, and I, I was sad to see um, that that teacher died. Uh, died rather young, but uh, it was it was baloney that he presented. It was immoral, and I took a strand, stand for, he called it, you want the, the, old, the old traditional or you want the new? Well, you know, the biblical forms are the old, right? And uh, I finally wrote a paper at the end. I, could care, I didn't really care about the grade so much, but I really wrote it as an apologetic of Christian faith that he might be saved. And he didn't take too well to it, and I didn't get a great grade on it, but I passed, and I was done anyway. You know, that senioritis, who cares anyway, right, at that point. Uh, but he, he died, and I, don't, I never knew if he died in faith or not. You had to sift through all that. And a lot of times in, in, in the isms and all the things that float around in the classroom, in the office, in the neighborhood, reject it. You must you must. Don't masquerade as an unsaved person, he's saying. Don't. Don't. And we do that when we sort of live in the world, one foot and one in the church. Or that. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. So like straddling a fence. I told you that the other week. You're going to hurt your bottom. It's a picket or a, or a chain link fence. There you go, right? Jimmy knows. I bet you do, right? I got caught on more than one of them. They hurt. <laughs> Running from the neighbors. I won't tell you that story. <laughs> Electrified. No, I never had that, Jim. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. Number two, as a, living, as a living sacrifice or sacrifices, don't forget to give your mind to the Lord. It's the battlefield. It's the Gettysburg. It is. It's your mind. Your mind. It's a terrible thing to waste. Don't waste it. Don't. Your mind should be being renewed. Number three, fill your mind with Scripture. Fill it. Study God's Word. Take, uh, take these sheets and study them through the week. Uh, look for someone to teach the things that you're learning. That, that, is that a great idea or what? Say, hey, let's have a Bible study. I, you, could, you, could, you could copy these and hand them out. I could care less. And teach others. Hey, let me tell you what I'm learning about God's Word. And teach others. Study it. It'll cause you to be renewed. Like Howard, right? When Howard died, somebody said it. Died a few, Howard Heaster a few years ago. He so ingested the Word of God, if you squeezed him it, and he exhaled, it was like Bible verses came out of his mouth. Now, that's a wonderful picture, isn't it? That's a wonderful picture. My grandmother used to come up and just bury me. She was pretty well endowed and a little heavy. And like I, my brother and I were about to say, hold your breath, because we didn't know when we were coming up. You know, it's like, 
We ought to be envelope our own hearts, not with my grandmother, she's in heaven now, but with the Word of God. It ought to fill us and form the way we think. Just incredible. Really, number four, beware of your TV viewing. That's probably that, your music, what you read. It's probably the most potential source of danger that will conform you to the image of the world. It doesn't teach you to think very much. Say, well, I watch the Science Channel, or I watch... There are some some good things like that. David likes to watch uh, not only the the Discovery Channel, the History Channel. Some of these are good. But be careful about it. It, it, They promote images. They're amusement. It's the realm of non-thinking men. And we enjoy that, don't we? (laughs) Beware of it. Be careful. Number five and last. You're, You're invited today. Perhaps you're here and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Oh, you must. It's the most important decision in life. God is calling out a remnant, a few. You can be a part of that today. But you must confess your sin. Lord, I am a sinner, and according to your word, lost. God said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That can be you, young and old alike. Don't let the day pass. And if you do, God will change you, give you a new heart, new disposition. And you'll be able to think in categories according to God's wonderful, wonderful word. Well, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Don't waste it. Give it to the Lord as a part of the living sacrifice. Shall we stand and be dismissed?